Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And as I said first hour, uh, the lovely Joanne's in town. And I'm going to tell you something. I did something the other day. I didn't think I would let her do, but I taped Big Brother and I let her watch it on my downstairs TV. Now, Joanne and her her younger brother love the show. To me, it's like the biggest piece of crap. I would rather watch Honey Boo Boo, okay? I mean, seriously. And that's the thing. I did watch Honey Boo Boo, the season premiere. Someone from, I went to high school with, Heidi Savage Kramer, sent me, I joke around on Facebook with her about reality TV, sent me the Honey Boo Boo scratch and sniff. So I actually sat there, and when the when the train went by, I snatched, snatched, scratched it. It smelled like coal and stuff like that. But she she's watching The Big Brother, and now, it's not about that she watches it. And all these people, you, you just hate them it's like like these people win money and they get careers when they have no talent whatsoever they're just basically pieces of crap and this one there's been a few racists and i mean but she loves it and it's so bad no lie the other day actually this morning at seven in the morning i wake up and she's still always on east coast time i go downstairs oh actually she comes upstairs and she has her her uh iPad out and she reads the feeds not to read she reads this jokers.com so she reads what's going on and then she watches the feeds and I'm like what are you doing it's like you're here to see me not Big Brother so luckily when she moves out at the end of October Big Brother will be off the air because that might cause some problems because I was telling her she's relegated if she watches it live she's relegated to going upstairs but tomorrow when it's on we're going to the comedy magic uh, the, the uh, magic castle so she'll tape it but I still think she's gonna have to watch it upstairs but enough about that. Just don't, people don't watch Big Brother. You're giving people, you're taking people's work away, like actors, like my, my guests today, who actually, I knew this gentleman back in the day, and it's just so weird how, how it's a small world. I, you know, I, a while ago, I hit, hit up Patrick O'Sullivan to be on my show, and Patrick and me became friends on Facebook, and I'm looking at some, one of his posts one time, and I see this name, Joe Dallow, and I was thinking, wait a second, that can't be the same Joe Dallow that I knew, because there's other comics in the, I wasn't sure if his, I thought his name was Joe Dallow, but then I saw there was a comic back east named Joe Gallo, and I'm thinking, what the hell, so I look up, and it was Joe Dallow, and then from that it just snowballed and I said you gotta come on the show and I have Joe Dallow what's up Joe hey Steve how's it going it's, it's weird I mean this I haven't seen awesome. you since I mean I was thinking about it it was um, god it's like since 1990 maybe yeah cause I I, I left in 90 I think I, I walked away in about 93 94 okay. went to finish college then I went and did a I got back in up on the New York area uh, did really well, and then I got a national tour of Tony and Tina's wedding, and I took off. Okay, so but, okay, so what you went to do comedy in New York or act in New York? I wanted to do both. Okay, I really loved doing comedy back when I was younger, and it was fun. And like I started just at the end of the peak, like at the end of the eighties when the when the peak started happen, uh, finishing off. And uh, I did really well, and I went to New York thinking, oh, I'll do acting, I'll do stand up, and then of course I got a national tour. And I was on tour for three years. And after three years, you can't just step back into the comedy world. Right. It was a rough little step. I had a, a, a little, not an incident. I had a conversation with the guy from Comic Strip Live. I forget. Lucian his, Hold? The old, yeah. He's passed, I think. Yeah, but he, he, he had the beard. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I did my act. I won Best Comic of the Month in October. And I sat down with him expecting to hear, okay, well, you're going to get a couple of nights a week or we're going to give you a late show. He looked at me and went... Your material is very general. It's like you could do it all over the country. It's not specific to yourself. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's what I do. I've been on the road for a long time. He goes, well, that doesn't make it here. You got to go and rewrite your act. 
so that it's all about you and I had long hair and your hair and I was like I'm not going to spend I just spent like seven years writing this act right have me change it and then I, I think pretty much after that I was like I was done with it I, I couldn't deal with well, it I, I, I do I still remember one of your jokes and it's funny because I get like Ronnie remember Ronnie Long oh yeah well he he sends me messages on Facebook what's up and he does a bit that I I forgot I did and people do it but I still remember you did a bit and I always wanted to steal it I wanted to steal it in, <laughs> now, nowadays now back then I said because and you said uh, oh yeah such and such from I know you said uh, oh Grant Goodeve uh, went into uh, AA. I guess eight wasn't enough. Yeah. <laughs> and people, if you don't know, Grant Goodie was the star, one of the stars. He's the hunky older guy in uh, Eight is Enough, yeah. which was a uh, Van, uh, Dick Van Patten show back in the late 70s. <laughs> and I still remember that show because it was really written well and it was very funny. Thank you. You know what's funny is I still remember and I still did the joke about having aluminum oxide in underarm deodorant. Do you remember that joke you used? You know to what? Do? I just pulled that back. Really? I, you know because I because my mom does. Weird. My mom has Alzheimer's oh, now. Sorry. And uh, I do a bit about. And I was sitting there because I do a bit about when she meets my mom. And before that, I had to. And I closed with that. And I but I had to set up. And I remembered that joke. And I said that was a pretty good joke. And it seems weird. Like now it works. I mean, it worked then. Oh yeah. But, it was just, but I mean, for, see the differences for me. Before, when I was doing comedy, you're always on the road and stuff like that. For me now, I just I do it for fun. Like when I go back to see her, I'll book a gig because it's cool and your friends can come out and you get paid and you get to do you know 15 to 25 or 30 minutes. We're out in LA, you know, people will sit there, guys like book me for a show, and then I saw he was out of town, so the girl was hosting it and she put her. I was like three minute sets, and I I sent him a message. I said, hey man, I said I'm, I'm not being a dick, but I said I'm not driving on a Saturday night from Burbank into Hollywood to do three minutes yeah. and he's like I understand and he's like I'm not running the show that week and I told the girl and she had seen me at the ice house and she's like oh man, I wanted to work with you because you're really funny and I'm like you know I'm not three minutes that's like you just get up there you take a mic out of the stand and you, by the time I stop introduction making fun of the host and joking around there's a minute and then it's like wait I'm gonna get the light in two minutes it's like what the hell I know that used to three minutes wasn't even an open mic you could you'd get five ten minutes yeah. on an open mic and that was the thing I noticed here was I did stand up once since I've been out here a friend of mine I don't know if you remember Stephanie Strand no. she was a female comedian she didn't stick with it very long but she gets me to go over to the three of clubs that's the place i was doing the three minutes at actually i right? was talking about yeah i get in and i'm like i rewrite i do like she goes come on do it one more time get something to so i put all this material together and i'm like yeah you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna try doing this again i'm gonna do the stand-up thing and i write out an act like three to five minutes and i'm waiting to go on stage and right before me is this heavy set african-american woman who apparently was homeless or something that was her big bit and at the end of her ha act, she was panhandling from the audience, and the audience is roaring laughter. And I'm like, this is why I got out of stand-up right. comedy, because it's really not so much about getting good material. Like, we worked hard. Remember, we used to... We used to write. We used to write. Right, you know? right. We'd, we'd, hey, how'd that bit go? And now, like you're saying, you get three minutes, it's got to be joke, joke, joke. I'm more of a how you doing? How's every what's your name? And by, like by the time you ask three people's names, you get in the light. Oh yeah, it's crazy. So now, now you grew up in Philly or right around Philly? I was born in Philly, and then I, you know, I was by law moved to New Jersey in the in South Jersey. So I kind of pretty much grew up in the South Jersey area. Which town? Because you said you went to Triton. I can't remember where Triton. I was Glendore, Runnymede, Belmar. Okay, all right. Yeah. 
That's cool. No, because I was thinking, yeah, Triton's a blast in the past. Like, I remember all this stuff when I go back and, like, run a meet and you drive and, and, you know, she picks me at the airport and you see different towns. And so when you were a kid, did you did you think, to, were you funny as a kid or did you know you wanted to act? Or at what point did you sit there and decide to follow this uh, path we take? Uh, originally, I guess I've always been the funny person because I remember in eighth grade I was, because I went to a Catholic school when you graduate in eighth grade, and I was picked the most likely to succeed Johnny Carson. Okay. That was my, my, my big thing. And I used to make my friends by being funny. I loved telling, telling jokes. And I would put shows on down my basement. Like, I would watch The Little Rascals and get an Elvis album and put a show on for my family. So I always loved the entertainment aspect. But I went to school for laser fiber optics at Camden County College. Good old Camden County. It's, uh, Clay here used to do a joke. It's a, it's a high school with ashtrays. ashtrays. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny because it's funny you say Camden County because I have a friend, Robert Malfara, who uh, went to Bishop Eustace. Oh, yeah. And he'll post stuff and we always go back and forth because I'm a Cherry Hill East graduate and he's from Cherry Hill going to Eustace and I'll sit there and go, you know, you know, we always go, you know, in Camden County, uh, Bishop Eustis uh, graduates, the valedictorian goes to Camden County. And we go <laughs> back and forth. And people who read the post probably have no idea what we're talking about. Like people from out here that I know, because I have a lot of friends, I have, you know, people on Facebook, but they're probably like, what the hell are you talking about? And they don't even know what Bishop Eustis is. So you went to, you know, what is laser fiber? What is it? Laser fiber optics. You're talking 1985. Like lasers was the new thing. It's the, the communication is. It's basically a, a pure glass. Okay, like you see those lamps. But how do you how do you major in that? Or it was my father was like, you need to get a career in something. selling it or installing no, it? it and okay. fixing it and the science of it. And it scared me because I'm not a science school person. Like I guess you know at that age you do whatever your parents tell you. You go to school for that. But I realized that if I did that, I'd be in school the rest of my life. But right across from the laser department was the theater department. Okay. And I was allowed to take one independent class. So I took Acting 101, basically. And while I was there, I met a playwright named John Wooten, who said, hey, would you mind doing my play? And I did his one play, and I was hooked. And we're out at a Denny's eating late-night breakfast, a bunch of us. And he and a friend of mine, Jim, turned to me and go, we're moving to Montclair, New Jersey. We're going to go to acting school. Why don't you go? And that night I made a decision. My parents woke up the next morning. I looked my father in the eye and said, the second I finish this degree, I'm moving to Montclair. My father said, I'm not going to give you a dime. And I said, no problem. And I saved up my own money and I worked full time. And I I decided then, I was like, this is not for me, laser fiber. I, I couldn't even imagine at this point in my life still and now it's it's obsolete you know yeah. I mean, you don't hear about laser no. it's like it's not like it's like it's like a next big thing it's like when they came out with uh with the um what was that called the laser disc it's the next yeah. big thing and then then they, the only thing good about laser disc is they had very good artwork on them they just i mean they would they were huge people if you don't know if it's before your time they they look like an album and you put it but they act like a dv a dvd yeah. but they're like the size of an album but they always had cool artwork like it was that was the thing and Nothing never happened. Nope. So you moved to Montclair. Yeah, I moved to Montclair, and uh, I was about halfway through my acting degree, and I decided that I wanted to look for something, and I found an audition for the first production of Tony and Tina's Wedding outside of the original cast members. Well, this was after you did comedy failure before? No. no. Okay. That's how it got me to comedy. Okay. And uh, again, I had to go to my parents and be like, okay, now I'm leaving acting school. And I'm going to go do a play back in Philadelphia. And it was on in the Leviton Christian 
like mafia it was the line it was the mafias mafia most looking bar you could be in and i got the role of like this long-haired drug addict ex-boyfriend of tina's and we were like little celebrities in philly and one day i just said i want to do stand-up and i had a little notebook on this little man those fake fireplace that philly places have and i started writing bits out and i wrote my stuff out uh i wrote my stuff out and I went the first night. I will never forget this. I did the Funny Bone on South Street, which it's, is still a comedy club, but it's, it's not called funny. the uh, Laugh House or oh, something like yeah, that. Something like something, that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, because I, I never really, I was never really went to the Funny Bone much. No, that's where I did. I did my first night of stand up there, and I finished. And of course, I got a great round of applause because all my friends were there. And this comic comes over to me, and he says, "I was doing a Jim Ignatowski impression." <laughs> Let me tell you. And I was doing my impressions where you turn around, like the typical stock thing. And Ralph, Ralph Harris walked up to me, and I had no idea who he was. And he goes, hey, kid, um, you got, you're really funny, um, but you don't, don't, do this, don't do the impressions. It's kind of hackish. And I go, hey, look, uh, Ralph, I, I don't know. I, this is my first time doing stand-up. And he looked at me and went, this is your first time doing stand-up? I went, yeah. And he goes, stick with it. You stick with it because you're going to be good. And uh, I always regret some days that feeling of like, what would have happened if I didn't go on tour and I just kept doing stand-up? Because I, I went, I did pretty good. Like, I was I was starting to feature, and I started doing the Andy Scarpati gigs. God. You can remember got, how big it was to get into the, to, what was the comedy place he had? Comedy Cabaret. Comedy Cabaret. Well, I, I, I got the Comedy Cabaret because I was, you know, working the door at the Comedy Factory outlet. And I was doing, like, Best of Philly Night and stuff, and I got some gigs. And then Grover Silcox took me up to uh, State College, which back then I drove with Grover. And it was a Champs in State College. It was a four-hour ride, and dro- Grover drove. And I was so excited. It was a two-man show, and it paid $150. And I was like, wow, because, you know, I mean, that was cool. It's it like, I'm great. getting paid $100. On my first show, I got part of the door. My paid show, I got 8 bucks. That was my, but I got my name. It was at Memories, not the one in Margate. They opened one in South Jersey. <laughs> Maria Merlino booked it. And in the Courier Post or the Inquirer, it's a comedy. There was a little piece of the, my name. But then Scarpati sat there. And heard I was good, and I had like a few bookings at the Comedy Factory Outlet and Comedy Works, and then Mitchell's. And he said, "What weekends do you have open?" And I said, and he took my whole calendar and he gave me thirty-five weekends to MC, and it was amazing because I was sitting there, I was I was doing the comedy, not new, but I, mean, I was busting my chops, and I was getting gigs here and there. But then, boom, I was booked every weekend That's to give me because at the time he had like. 12 clubs. Oh, easy, yeah. So it was like, boom, boom, boom. And it was great because you got paid and you got to do, you know, three shows and, you you know, you did 15 minutes up front and it was great and you met some great acts and, you know, that's the funny thing is some of these people I work Scarpati gigs with have come back and done my show because I go, I worked at a, a gig with you, like, you know, so many years ago and through the Scarpati gigs you know I would meet comics who would get me work you know with Gary Grant out of Long Island and stuff like that where I didn't need to send a tape they would say this guy Cooper's good and they would feature me when I left because you know in Philly it's hard to move up but oh, so, yeah. so you were working you were starting to get Scarpati gigs now we worked a lot I know we, I know we, I know we did work a gig up in a in the Poconos, yeah. I remember it was like Bloomsburg or something it was like that. Bloomsburg, it was up. Was it the the golf course place? Yes, hotel. No, was it the golf? Yeah, I remember. Cause oh my I, God. I think I got lucky that night. I think you got lucky I got, that night. I, I remember. We getting, both we both got lucky because the next day we lost each other. And I don't know if we <laughs> did we I don't know if we drove up together. I think I forget. And we had we to meet each lot. other, but we both got lucky. And it's got it. So because I remember that the other day, I'm like, yeah, it was at this golf course, and I forget who headlined. I think it was like Dennis Ross or something like that. And yeah, uh, I think you're I, right. It's funny. It, yeah, I remember that. I went, wow. It, it was an, It wasn't. A, it wasn't a pickle man gig. It was the dude who did. He was always hepped up on. 
he always, let's say, um, marched to the Peruvian powder. Wasn't a. No. He, he was. I remember, and then they brought us back for the best of the summer. Was his name Artie? Artie. Okay. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you he's in. That he's name. in. Flo- I'm not gonna say his last name, but he's in uh, Florida now, and uh, he does like radio or something, and he's booking clubs again. But oh, that's wild. That's funny, yeah, because yeah, I remember doing that gig. Yeah, he. Uh, um, I think I could hit it twice because remember Chuck Carmen. Yeah, I, did. I talked to Chuck on Facebook a while ago. Really? He, I mean, he, I've been not stopping for a while, but he's living in uh, Kentucky or no, not somewhere weird place. Chuck, just show Joanne and people. Chuck Carmen was this. Before there was bikers, this guy, before there was piercings, this guy would go on stage, he had long hair, he was a biker. And the nicest guy, and he used to, I used to always do his homeless benefits, his, his, uh, he did the, the homeless benefits in, in Gloucester at this yeah, bar. Yeah, Lost Kids, too. Yeah, right? Lost Kids. Uh, yeah, it was Lost Kids, not homeless. And he would pull up his shirt, because he always wore a vest, and he had his nipple pierced. And back then, no one had it. We're talking like in 1988 or 1999, and 1989, and he would just go, oh, it's hurt. And, it, and there, he had like a, shark's, like a shark fin thing hanging off his nipple. And no one, had, nope. no one had piercings like that back then. No, no. And Chuck was, yeah, you're right. He was like one of, he looked like Harry Shear from Spinal Tap. Yes. That's what he always reminded me of. And he looked like he would bite your head off and was the nicest guy, would take me on gigs. And, oh, yeah. And was funny. Because he hung out with Big Nick, too. Big Nick. And there was a guy named Big Nick, people, who weighed about 400 pounds. And in the off-season, he would go to Jupiter, Florida and sell hubcaps. And I would take him for work sometimes. <laughs> and I drove a Fiero. And I, I remember, remember we're doing a show in Reading, and this guy, Big Nick, gets into my car. Okay. Now he weighs four hundred pounds, people. It's a Fiero, and I do jokes about it. It's like the Flintstones, you know, the rib, the cart flips up. I'm going. I'm going to make complete right (laughs) turns. But what's funny about it was I'm driving and we're doing. We're going. We're plunk on the Reading, and it's in the winter and it's cold. But I had my heat on. But I would open up the window and then I would get warm so I turned the heat off and the windows open a little bit and then I would turn and the heat was back on and it was Big Nick kept turning it on and I'm like dude you weigh 400 pounds you should just be warm <laughs> I mean it's like you're constantly cold but so okay we'll get back so wait so you, you, you were doing a comedy but then you did the Tony and Tina's I was doing Tony and Tina's I did the stand up and um, the Tony and Tina's closed and it stopped and then I was getting to play the comedy store the comedy store Right. Comedy, right. Fa- comedy works, comedy factory. Comedy works. You, you were more of a works guy. I was a works guy. And uh, and the works was tough. Because at the time, Paul F. Tompkins was the big king of the comedy works. Like, you didn't go in there. and uh, but So you tried to get in there. I was trying to get into the funny bone. But then I started doing... Who started representing me? Um, Ray Sapola. I remember Ray. I, I always wonder what happened to Ray. Ray was, was one of the nicest guys. He wanted he, to manage me. And was, he, he did it. And then basically he wanted me to book my own gigs and then take 10%. Okay. Because he was the first person to ever headline me. He headlined me at his club Tracy's. At Down the in Bowman. Bo- at the Bowman. Co- yeah. Baltimore. And he, he actually headlined me because he told me, he goes, you know, he goes, he goes, you don't, you don't get the giant applauses. He goes, but you're so consistent that you just... They laugh, and he goes, you have to headline. They laugh for 45 minutes when you're on stage. But I always remember that, and I always remember what happened to him. And he's, he's one of those guys that fell out of the comedy scene, because he used to book Rutgers Camden, too. Yeah, yeah. That, and, that was a tough room, too. Yeah, that was a hell. It's like oh, some of these, you go into a, a cafeteria, and it's like, it's just awful. Yeah. So so you were doing comedy, and so Ray was going to manage you. But he, did he start? He started managing me, and then I, that's when I started realizing about this whole manager thing. Basically, he didn't want to do anything for me, really. He just wanted me to keep on getting the work I was getting, because... I was doing really well. I guess I was kind of funny at the time. I was doing impressions, and I did my. I remember, I did the Waldo thing. 
I just have the big round glasses. I'd be like, "Where's, I, where's I, Waldo?" I, no, I don't. I, 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 some of the things I don't remember. I, I remember certain things. Like I remember the Grant Goodie. You think I would remember you with glasses? But no, I re- I remember a joke about Grant Goodie. Yeah. I mean, it's like so, like so uh, nondescript. Not like even not. I remember who Grant Goodie is. So, so you're doing that. I'm doing that, and uh, right about then, I'll never forget. My grandfather walked up to me and pretty much grabbed me by the back of my head and said, "What are you doing?" You don't have a college degree. And I said, all right, so I'll go back and get a college degree. And I basically stepped away again from stand-up, and I decided to go get a college degree. And I had to walk away from it. And But while I was up there is when I kept on pushing the stand-up. Where did you go? I went to Montclair State University. Okay. And uh, I finished there, and that's when I said, um, maybe I should get back to, to college. I mean, I got engaged. That's what it was. So that brought me back down to Philly, started trying to do in the stand-up again, started getting back into it. And that's when I got the national tour of Tony and Tina's wedding. Now, how did that happen? Was that just came out of nowhere? Did you just audition? came out of nowhere. The, uh, I had done the show in Philly, so I knew the director. And then I got a call one day, and they said, hey, do you want to come out and audition for the national tour? And the money was good, and I was young, and I, I, my, my father had just passed, and I just kind of needed to get away for a little bit. And I took it. And... After I did stand, and I did stand up on the road for the tour. I would play. I played Cincinnati, Ohio. I played Louisville, Kentucky, because I would play the different clubs that were in the in the town. And then I got. By the time I got back to New York after the tour was over, is when I said, "All right, I'm going to do the New York thing," because that was it. You had to play New York to get to L.A. Right. And I did New York. I did like five gigs, and I was. I had changed my act. I was less Waldo, more Bill Hicks. You know, real you know, in your face kind of stuff. And I did really well. And then I had that big fight over at the comic strip live with, with Luke and, and Luke, what was his name? Lucian. Lucian and, hold. And I kind of got turned off and I decided to follow more of my acting and, and directing. And now you did that in New York. You're following that in New York. Yeah. I followed that in New York for a while. I was doing pretty good. Like I was doing some plays and I was getting some, I was directing a lot of shows, getting paid for that. And the thing about stand up is, I love that you do it for fun because that's where I've always wanted to go back to is being able to do it. Because there's, if you don't want to do it for a living and you don't, that's I've got. You're it. Like I can't, I can't go on the road. I, mean, I can't. I, it, 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 you know, the road's not healthy. I no. mean, it's not. It's not. You know, the road's a young man's game. It is such you, a young man. You can game. say I'm going to try to eat, but then you're not going to be sitting there like you know, in your hotel room eating a banana and some grapes. You know, when like when when there's like no supermarket around. You know, or when you get to the club when they want to feed you dinner. Oh yeah, well, can you know you feel like a dick if you're eating for free? Going, well, can I have a chicken with no salt with this on the side? And they're like, then you're not going to get booked. Get back because they're going to think you're difficult. Yeah, they're going to be like, this guy, this guy, I don't want to work with this guy anymore. No, and that's exactly how I feel. And uh, I've always wanted to get to that point where I, I could do it again just for the fun of it. I do it every once in a while. I mean, I sit doing all the shows like Ha Ha or Michaels or different. I'll go, I'll do it. It's fun, you know. But so, so you're in New York now. Now you're directing, you're acting. Well, I'm directing, I'm acting. I was doing PA work. I'd gotten to work on A, uh, a Beautiful Mind. I got to be, like, next to Russell Crowe and, and work with these these greats. And I'm just a PA, but I knew how to weasel my way in. And um, everything's going good. My career's going good. And then 9-11 happened. And everything I was doing pretty much stopped. And you're not making much money, and so there's no money around. And a friend of mine's husband, now ex-husband, comes to New York and says, hey, I'm working on a show called Punked, and I could use some help out here in New York. We're doing one of our episodes in New York. And I was like, yeah, sure. 
I, I was happy. I was getting two hundred dollars a day, and I was excited, like because you know that was a lot. What were you doing on the show, though? I was an art department. I was helping them build camera hides and, and dress the place to look like something. Did you have experience in that? Nah, just in stage. I kind of lied a little bit. Kind of was like, yeah, yeah, I've done this before. I've done stage tech, but not TV tech. But the guy loved me, and he's really really impressed that I could do all this work and he said you know what if you fly to New York LA I'll get you a job so I was like nothing's going on I'm not getting paid eight months I hadn't worked this was the first thing I had done New York was still bouncing back and I said okay and two months later I packed my stuff up and I flew out here and then two weeks later I was on Monster House painting and I got offered the lead man on punk and then I began to work the what Punked. I was the lead in the art department and worked okay. myself up to assistant art director of Punked. I was one of the main tech guys on that show for a long time. Now, had you been to L.A. before you moved out? Only once. Okay. And I lived in Venice Beach. So coming from Venice Beach and then I moved is, is – you feel like you're in paradise. I'm, I'm in North Jersey right outside of Weehawken. You go to Venice Beach, you right. feel like you've just <laughs> landed in Honolulu – you're waiting for Elvis and the guitar and Paradise Hawaiian style. Well, I always say that about her. It's like when she came out uh, one time last year, it was when Hurricane Sandy had just started. And what's weird about that was I had gotten her a surfing lesson for in, on Labor Day. But the, out here, it was the tides were was too, or Memorial Day, it was too uh, choppy or whatever. So she comes out in like October when Sandy's about to start. And, you know, you know, you're seeing that there's all you know, Hurricane Sandy's going on, and we're in Malibu. I'm sitting on the beach. It's 85 degrees, and she's surfing. And I mean, her flight got delayed because it was. Uh, hell, and that's the thing when you come out here, it's like her. You know, she when she's moving out, she can't wait. I mean, she's not bitching because she loves the heat. Like to me today, this weather sucks. Yeah, I mean, it's just too hot. I mean, I I don't even see what my air conditioning bill is going to be, but it's just. It's just yeah. So you so you're in Venice Beach and you're from, you're from North Jersey. It's a little crazy. Oh, so I'm like all happy and I said, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. And I pretty much picked up and I moved from New York in maybe two months. I just packed everything. How'd you find a place? I stayed with my friend uh, who was the production designer for for Punked. I stayed with him for about two months. Got my first apartment out in Echo Park. Okay. Which is now a very big, very building up area. Yeah, I was pretty much in the not building up right, area. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like, that's like uh, where uh, York, not, there's a bar called the York on York Street. Same thing, like near Eagle Rock. They're Highland Park. I think they're all, now they're all building up. They used to be awful. I mean, it, now they're becoming like hip. Yeah. It's like the hipster city. I'm hoping they do that to my, I'm in North Hollywood, so I'm really hoping they do that there because I'm just on that border of could be gang territory. Is it gang territory? You know what's funny though. I, I've noticed this because I live in Burbank and when North Hollywood and Burbank. It's so I've noticed this when you're driving down Magnolia from Burbank to North Hollywood. Okay, you know you're in Burbank because when you hit North Hollywood, the whole street's a pothole. Yeah, I mean you just yeah. go, you go like you're going off like because we, you know, that when we go to the subway station, you're driving smooth. All right, all right, and then all of a sudden you get past uh, what is it, Quang, Quang or whatever, it is, and then boom, yeah. it's just it's a pothole. Yeah, it's, it's ever being repaired. I was just on there. There was tree roots growing out of the street. <laughs> and it, it didn't just happen. It had to be there for a while. So you're out here. You're doing you're doing working for punk, and you're doing the art department. Now, are you doing acting at the time? That's the thing is I kind of walked out of New York and said, I'm not doing this anymore. I, I'm just going to do – I'm not going to act anymore. I just need – I don't want to do this anymore. It's too much, too much, too much. So I did punk. I did eight seasons of punk. I did I – mean, I almost got killed on the show. 
I, I, I could do a book on how many things I saw behind. Because I was in charge of not only hiding the cameras, but I was also in charge of making sure all the pranks went off right, making sure everything was safe. So I had a, a lot of responsibility. So how would you hide the camera? Would you go in and just sit there? And I mean, it just, oh. it always, you know, cause the, the thing is like with Punctus, I think Punctus is different because they had a lot of stars. Oh, it's like, really hard. But that hidden camera stuff, I just think in this day and age, you know, if you're someone's like sitting there throwing chips at your head at a restaurant, you know there's a chance you're on a TV show. You'd be amazed. You'd actually be amazed what people are dumb enough to buy is real and don't look like I'm pretty much, I think, and I'm not bragging, but I'm pretty much one of the top experts on how to, on hidden cameras. I've worked a lot of the hidden camera shows and punked was very hard because that was a show that if they sneezed and, and, if they sneeze and the tissue was dirty, they'd be like, I'm on punk. Like, they, they, everything was, they're looking for it. So we had to be really tricky. Like, we would build walls and put in fake mirrors and make you think that there was no way there could be a mirror behind this wall. Now, I, I've put cameras on top of things and people be like, oh, oh, they're going to see that. And I go, look, if they can see that camera, then your show sucks and right. they're not paying, they're paying attention to the wrong thing. So punk, but punk was hard. Because I, I, every celebrity you would ever go after spent at least the first five minutes looking around at everything. And some of them thought they'd catch you. Like, we ne- we rarely got caught. Like, we were about 85% passing. Like, who caught you? Who caught you? Um, what's her name? Pamela Anderson totally snagged us. Wait, here's my favorite, one of my favorite things. Pamela Anderson is in um, Pauly Shore's house. And Pauly Shore says, is, is part of the prank. And he's supposed to be interviewing her, and it's supposed to be like, I think there was like a porn supposed to be going on, and we're supposed to embarrass Pamela, and then the cops are showing up. Pamela Anderson caught on quickly. And I'm standing here with a producer afterwards, and she says to me, I cannot believe how bad of an actor Pauly Shore is. And I looked at her, I go, didn't Biodome teach yeah. you anything? <laughs> I know. And Sino Man. And Sino Man. <laughs> are you watching the same movies I was? We'd get caught. Who caught us? Um... Black Eyed Peas went crazy. There's some you'll never see. Like, Black Eyed Peas you'll never see. That was a really bad... They freak out? Not them. Their, one of their entourage was hepped up on something and, like, freaked out. We were at a pool and he punched a... Threw a girl in the pool, freaked out, hit a cop that was real but an actor cop. And it was crazy. And, and uh, I don't know if I could say this, but at one point... The Black Eyed Peas were standing up on a balcony and were up in the Hollywood Hills. And you see their arms go behind, reach into their pockets and then go behind them. And we don't know what they were dropping out of their pockets, but I'm sure it wasn't their rosary beads and holy water that right. they were dumping off the side of the thing. So as soon as it ended, I ran down the path because I knew where they had dropped everything because I was right there watching it because I was behind a two-way mirror. And I run down and just as I get down there, here come the Black Eyed Peas all like walking up from there. Like they had run down. I was like, "Hey, how's it going? Hi, Fergie." So, so you worked on that. Now, I mean, no. So in the middle, of, amidst of all this, I get a call from uh, Ronnie Marmo. That sounds familiar. He's an actor. He's in a lot of stuff. He was just did a real long run on General Hospital. Um, he does a lot of work. He's an old friend of mine from the national tour of Tony and Tina's Wedding. Calls me out of the blue, and he owns a theater company. He says, "Joe Dallow." Are you living in Los Angeles? And I said, yeah, Ronnie, I am, pal. And he goes, are you still acting? I went, no, I'm not acting anymore. He goes, this, that's bullshit. He goes, you're one of the best actors I know. Get over here. All right. I miserably go over to the theater department, the theater company over on Hollywood and Western. Just moved over to the NoHo Arts Center. What's it called? Fifth? Theater 68. Okay. 
And I show up like, all right, I'll sit here for this one thing, and then I'm leaving. So that was seven years ago, and I'm still a member over there. And I've and it got me back into the game. And since then, the irony of my whole life is that I wound up, and I don't. It was a very short-lived television show on Disney Channel called Code Nine, which basically they needed somebody who could be quick-witted and funny, but know how to do special effects and hidden camera. And I, they, somebody from John Huck. John was on a few weeks ago. Yeah, John Huck and this guy Mark Hurwitz call me and go, "Hey, they want to bring an actor guy in here." Now, how do you know Huck? I know Huck from Punked. Okay. He was one. He's great. He's a, he's a great guy. I love John Huck. And they go, "Hey, you want to audition for this TV show? We need somebody who's going to do the science part of it and can be funny." I was like, "Yeah, I'll try." I did the screen test. They loved me. I showed up for the pilot, and it's nerve wracking because they didn't give me lines. They would just show, okay, now, Joe, what are you going to do? And it rolled the cameras. So luckily, from the stand-up, from the acting, I was funny. And the head of Disney, this girl, woman, Judy, walks up and punched me in the arm really hard and goes like this, you're funny. You're really funny. You've given this show what it needs. And I'm excited. I call home. I don't say, no, I don't say nothing to anybody. show gets picked up. We do six episodes. It airs. So you're on camera, but you're also I'm doing. On, I'm also doing the art. Department. Are you? Hi, are you? But you're not. You're not doing the stuff on camera. You're not hiding the cameras. You're not on camera hiding the cameras. No, no. I'm on the camera going like we would do. We blew up a, a golf cart. So I would tell the kids because it was kids playing practical jokes on their parents. Okay. So these little kids would come up to me and I, I'd be the crazy wacky guy in the depart in the art department and hey hey Joe let's bring Joe out here Joe's going to show us how to do it and then I would go do all these wacky things like I drove a car through a fake wall and okay I got doused in water and they blew up a doll of me on one episode but it was my chance to be funny and it was really nice because Mark Hurwitz the producer very nicely called me up and said I just want to let you know the show got picked up and it was funny because I was about 15 minutes from going on stage with Patrick O'Sullivan in All About Walking and it was on my birthday and I get the call from the producers and he's like you're going to be on TV you're going to be on the Disney Channel and we got six episodes on the Disney Channel we killed we crushed it we did 3.4 million on a Friday night and Disney said no to a pickup, and they never picked us up. And that's weird because that's really good numbers. I mean, it's like yeah. it's just. I mean, it was different because there's. If you ever watched, I I, I had to watch Disney because I was curious to see what it was about. And I watched Disney because I'm a pedophile, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I watch it 200 feet away from the screen. <laughs> You're not allowed to get any closer. Are you? Yeah, exactly. No, it's the the law. Well, hey there, get away from that TV. Um, the the show was so different. And it was nothing like what they have on now because there was a lot of improv. We had some great actors. Dan Satchoff was on it. Um, I don't know what – they say it was the money. It cost so much money. That sounds like it would, though, because you're blowing yeah, stuff up. Blowing you know? stuff up. We had the little kids would wear latex makeup and be in the bit, and the parents wouldn't know. Like, you wouldn't even – these kids were standing next to their parents, and they would make this little kid look like an old person. And the parents would be standing there, and they'd have the worst things happen to them. And then the turnaround on top of it would be your son is standing right there, or your daughter's okay. standing right so, there. Okay, yeah, I mean, probably the makeup and stuff. Just also, I think it would probably get hard putting the makeup on the kids because it's uh, they can only work for so many hours. And yeah. I've heard some of this makeup stuff just takes forever. Oh yeah, and it, and and you know our hours were crazy because we would have to get in super early because we only had this span of time that we were allowed to shoot with them. So we had to get all our work done beforehand, and then kind of pick everything up after they left. But it was fun. I had a great time, and I was excited. I was I was all excited. I was 
pictures. I got my own web page, and I did a Twitter page, and all that craziness. And then, and then did you get recognized at all? Like, because a lot of times it's like funny because uh, David Higgins, who's uh, was one of the Gruber boys in Higgins, he's been in Malcolm yeah. in the Middle. He's been in uh, a ton of stuff. He's on a uh, Big Time Rush, and he play. And he said it's very weird now because you know it's like his daughter's friends recognize him. You know, it's just weird when you're in, <laughs> when you're on Disney, you have a different market that people that recognize you kids recognize you it's like joanne's uh nephew i got him an autographed picture because i know one of the producers of the show and it's like they know exactly who it is and i'm like i've never seen the show but it's just weird did you, i mean did kids recognize you at all i have i the weird thing was i would get emails and facebook messages from people i went to high school with and college with that were like oh my god my kids now like me because you're on the disney channel and I would send I would send out headshots autographed like to a whole class in North Carolina because they wanted they thought it was funny. Oh, we love Joe. Joe's the funny guy. I have never ever been recognized in person. Like nobody's ever walked up to me. No, I, and I joke around because I'll go to Disneyland with my fiance, and I'll be standing there and I'll be going, "Boy, boy, uh, boy, I love that Disney Channel. You, your kids ever see Code Nine? Yeah, so you fish it for compliments. <laughs> and they're like, no. No, That's funny. So, uh, so you did that. Now, when did, how did the um, all about walking pop up? Because people, if you don't know, you've heard uh, Patrick was on uh, two weeks ago. Lily Holliman was on, and they were both in this production, which I had heard about, which was everyone plays walking. And um, how did that come about? Was that because that through the theater's company? It was there through um, and on stage. It was the first scene I was doing for this Monday night gym they do on at the theater sixty eight. Now, what's a Monday night gym? It's basically the group of actors who belong to this theater company get together and they do scenes or monologues and they do acting exercises. And it's really not many theater groups out here in L.A. offer that. They usually, you know, you spend your money and you get to have one meeting every two months to tell you what productions you're not going to be involved in. Okay. So for Theater 68, Ronnie Marmo likes his people to keep on working, so they offer you Monday night. This is gym. They call it the gym. It's like where you work out as an actor. So I was doing a scene for that, and I'm up on stage in rehearsal by myself. with the, Well, not by myself, because um, there was a very, very pretty lady on stage with me. That's why I love theater. And I'm sitting there, and uh, this guy walks in who looks like Jim Carrey. That's all I remember is being like, wow, this dude looks like Jim Carrey. And he comes up to me and he goes, hey, uh, are, are you supposed to be here? And I'm like, uh, look, I've got keys to the place. I'm just rehearsing. And I go, oh, oh, you're the guy from All About Walking. I heard you guys were doing the show here. He goes, yeah, yeah. I go, you know, I have your postcard on my wall. He goes, really? What audition? Because we just had a guy drop out on us like five minutes ago. And I need somebody to fill in. Can you do Christopher Walken? And I was like, I don't know. I'll try to do some walking. Right. And he's like, great, you're in. You're, you're going to do the show. And, and and that's how I met Patrick, standing on the stage. And I, if I hadn't been in rehearsal that day, I would have never bumped into Patrick. And I would never. And I've been in the show. God, I, mean, I think I've been on it five years now. Yeah. Now, how often does it run? We do it probably twice a month, twice a year. I mean, okay. We used to. We did a lot. It ran for a while. It's a really fun show. Like if you just want to go and laugh, it's a great show. A lot of talent. I mean, Lily's. Uh, Lily Holloman is amazing in the show. If you're, I mean, to see her do Christopher Walken. Well, she did it. She did it on the show because I said you have to do it. But the only reason it's funny is, I, and I sent her a message on uh, on Facebook because Patrick had mentioned, mentioned her, and then Ari Gross was on, and then I saw she put this thing where she did. Uh, she's done that movie, The Lady Killers, and then Jamie Keller's been on. So I'm like, okay, 
all these people like Jamie just tweeted about her. So I had to send her a message. I said, I love you to do my show. Cause it's like, it's like six degrees. It's like, you know, all these people. And then it turned out she knew you and it's, it's just weird. That's what's weird about this town. You know, you do, you do cross a lot of paths with people you've not seen for a long time. Yeah. And, and it's like, you know, and some people you'll, you won't see some people you don't want to see, but it's just weird like that. Like I talked to John Maddow a lot. Wow. And uh, John was supposed to come to our party Sunday, but him and he's married to a, a, past guest on my show of a character actress named Rose Abdu who's been in a ton of stuff and uh, I just started talking to John and me and John would meet for sushi like once every few yeah. months and he'd, uh, he writes for all these different shows yeah it's you know it's funny how you run into you see or you see people doing stand up um well, John got out of stand-up completely. He was, yeah. He hasn't, he hasn't done it forever. I think it was John. That st- well, it was somebody stood up for me with Paul F. Tompkins because he didn't. So what happened with Paul? Because I always get along with Paul. I mean, but the thing is, I was a class. Like, you were ahead of me. We were like, a class, you, yeah. We, yeah, a class before Paul. I was with like the uh, Steve Thomas. and uh, Yeah, you, uh, Steve, and, like Steve Thomas. What happened? I'm friends with him on Facebook. I don't know what he does. I see his tweets. I have no idea. Oh, I'm like, it's in there. And then George Sharp. I mean, but that's a long story. I think, yeah, George you know, Sharp. I got in a bad car. He's yeah, but it's uh, oh, but some of those people. Then some of the people are just still in Philly. You know, it's like it's you sit there and you go back and you see, like you know, a show. It's like Patrick O'Donnell and Chris Rich, and they just didn't move and they didn't they didn't want to move. And that's the thing. But some people don't want to move. It's that's where you live, and it's fine. You know, I mean, Big Daddy Graham is an overnight DJ. I mean, has his own show and he still performs, but. He's not going to come to L.A. No, he's got he a huge following in Philadelphia. I mean, that's his he's place. been there forever. Well, like yeah. Grover Silcox was at my friend Matthew Smith's wedding, and I'm over there. I'm like Grover, is that? Great? And I had to go. Funniest, to- funniest guy, one of the funniest guys Sweetest ever. Man. Yeah, so, just like the nicest guy. So I'm doing the comedy works, and I, I, I uh, is it the comedy works? Yeah, it works. Yeah, works, yeah. And Paul was the the big guy over there. I'm doing the was it like a Monday night open mic? The Wednesday. Wednesday, and 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 Paul. If you were new, I felt like if you were new and you stunk, he didn't mind it. But if you were new and you were good, he gave you a little bit of attitude. He was different than he is now, and I'm hoping. And he's a great guy. Yeah, he's very nice. Right? So I'll never forget, and I, was, I'm, I'm, I have to curb the volume of my voice sometimes because I'm very Italian. I'd be very loud. And I remember I was doing a stand open mic and there's not many people in the audience and Paul F. Tompkins introduced me like this. Ladies and gentlemen, this next guy's voice is really loud and it grates on your nerves. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Joe Dallow. Oh man. And I went, Wow. Wow, I can't believe you just did that. Like I never said anything mean. I thought I think still he's one of the funniest comics I've ever met. He's really just talented. But that's how he introduces me. So I walked up on stage, and I took the microphone, and I did my whole act like this. How's everybody doing tonight? And uh, that's great. So you hear about Grant Goodeve? Yeah. It's a pun. I did my whole act at that tone and killed. The audience roared with laughter. And I'll never forget, I was so mad that when Paul came back on stage, I picked up the microphone, and I dropped it on the floor like, go F yourself. Like, how dare you? Like, right. I never did anything to you. But it never felt so good to do my act like, how's everybody doing? And Great. And killing. And being like, there you go. And uh, I always knew, though, he was going to do well. Because he, I could still remember his bits back then. And they They're just different. We always said, yeah, you got to get out of Philly because people just don't get you here. You know, that, that's no. true. He, they, they, he had to leave. I mean, L.A. was his only choice because Phil, I mean, Scott Patty wouldn't book him even though he's funny. And uh, and that's if you wanted to be in Philadelphia, you had to work for Scott Patty. Else, yeah. you know, or, yeah. and, and people on the road weren't going to book him because he didn't have that. He didn't like to drive either. Right. He didn't, he didn't drive. He, he finally got his license. He never had a license till two years ago. And wow. He's, 
for 40 odd years, he never had a license. I still laugh when I think of uh, him picking his own clown persona. He was Melty the Burn Victim. <laughs> and I remember that. First, and this you're talking how many years, 20 years ago? Yeah, it's crazy. It's I mean it's 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 just so you remember that stuff though. So okay, so I'm looking at your other your, your other resume, uh, you, your stuff. Now you know now you you're doing a lot of the theater. What are some of the plays you've done out here with with your theater company? What are some of the different? I mean, is it all like Walkins a very as a comedy? Comedy. Uh, now has that been the same cast for Walkin? No, we've it's been the same main cast. Well, I'm not even part of the original cast, but for the years it's been Patrick and Lily. And Kenzo Lee, very talented actor, and um, Lou left. Louis Lewis left. So it's basically just been me, Patrick, Lily, Amy Kelly, and Kenzo Lee. And when we just vary around, um, there's there's sometimes uh, I'll draw on a blank on names, but uh, there's other people that just come in and do some episodes here and some episodes there. But we've been like the main core. Now you've been involved in the theater company for what? How many years? Probably like six or seven years now. And so, what are some of the play productions you've been in? I've gotten the, I've gotten a great opportunity. When I was in theater, I was I am still enamored of Joe Montaigne. Um, he was an he was a Tony Award winner when I was in New York, and, um, and he owns Chicago's Best here. Yeah. Bank. Well, I'm at Theater 68, and they're doing all of Shanley's plays, and there's one play, and Joe Montaigne is directing it. And I didn't care about, and it was only a small play, and I worked my butt off, and I got the lead in it. And I got to work with Joe Montaigne, and I'm friends with him today, uh, called Welcome to the Moon, Jonah John Patrick Shanley's plays, who did Doubt and does a lot of stuff. And that was exciting because I've gotten to meet one of my idols and remain maintain a friendship with him. Like, And I go to Sh- Chicago's on Fridays. And I've, heard he's, I've heard he's just a hell of a guy. He is probably the most humble, talented, sweetest person you'll ever meet in your life. The most g- giving... My mom uh, unfortunately passed in, uh, in 2009, and when she was really sick, we were doing Welcome to the Moon, and my mom had two shows. She would watch The Mentalist. I watched The Mentalist, and I watched Criminal Minds. See, she watches both of them, too. Right? So I, I go. I, I like The Mentalist. I like both those shows. I'm, I'm actually kind of hooked on Criminal Minds. I don't really watch Criminal Minds that much, but I like, I like that guy. It's like he's, he's a handsome he's, guy. He's, he's dashing. For, for The Mentalist. He's, yeah, he's, he's cool. Like, yeah. He, but I always say, like, him. Castle and the guy from Glades are all pretty much the same character. Yeah, they're all like the handsome or what, with a little bit of humor. Yeah, exact same characters. But he, uh, I'll never forget. It was I had a tradition, and I've been in theater probably God, like twenty five, thirty years now. And for the longest time, whenever I would do an opening night, I would call my mom. I would say, "Hey, mom, I'm doing my opening night." Blah blah blah. So I told Joe Montaigne this, and it's opening night of the show we're doing. And I said to him, he looks at me, and I'm in the lobby, and he's like, "Who you call? Who you call, Joe?" And I go, call my mom. He goes, give me the phone. And I go, really? And he goes, I want to talk to your mom. And my mom goes, hey, mom, l- listen who it is. And I go, here's somebody who wants to talk to you. And Joe Montaigne got on the phone and talked to my mom on the phone saying, thank you for being a fan. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, you have a very talented son. He's very good. Yes, thank you very much. Oh, okay, well, you keep watching the show. And he hands me the phone back. And I'll never forget, I said to my mom, mom. How cool was that? You just talked to Joe Montaigne. She goes, that wasn't him. That was you. I go, no, mom, that was Joe Montaigne. <laughs> out of my mother's mouth. Oh, my God, I'm calling your aunt. And hung up the phone and called my aunt. She was so excited. That's. Then he sent her a headshot autograph for her and like sent me a nice letter when she passed. He's just genuine. To f- meet somebody who you've idolized as an actor and then seeing him and, and you're it's, it's an honor. It's cool. So, so what are some other plays you do? That I got to not- do. Uh, I got to do the world, pre- the LA premiere of the Henry Moss, the late Henry Moss, uh, recently with Gary Wernz, who's an amazing character actor. 
Uh, I've done the last days of Judas Iscariot and got to play Jesus. Did you have to grow your hair back? Yeah, I had a, it's, it was hard. I, I, tried, to, I tried to play Jesus, and they said I look more like Ben Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't need to have an, you had one of your bits was funny like that. I, I, you know, I Actually, now when I do my act, I have a whole thing, and I, have like, and I do that on Facebook a lot. I do the combination pictures. Yeah, I just saw one. I do, I do them every once in a while, and, uh, and I, just, I do it on the act who I look like. And I have like 20 references, and you can't really do them in a show here when it's short, so I'll just throw a few out. But, but some like the ones I do online are totally obscure. Like I find actors that only people who know what's going on will get like you can't do certain references in front of a crowd like you can't say a Marshall Crenshaw with you know Masuka from Dexter you can't do that because on stage you can you you can't do it but on online you can because you have the pictures you can visually visually yeah. make it understandable yeah. I got I did a, I've done a, a, a 101st I can't think of the 101st Street. It was, a, it was a play by Stephen Adley Giergis, who's really like the David Mamet of this of this time. Like when okay. I was doing theater d- back in the 80s, Mamet was the man. And now Stephen Adley Giergis is Our Lady of 120, uh, 121st Street. An amazing play. And I've gotten – the funny part is I have more respect now as an actor from my peers than I did for all the years I did it in New York and, and Philly and, and touring – I got into the theater group and I went from being the guy in the back to like I get a lot of leads now like I, I played uh, where I get great character roles I got to play a, a Texas taxi driver this summer that got me into uh, meet some major cast directors I got an audition for Shameless out of it and um, knowing somebody I got I just did a national commercial for vitamin water you did is, is it is, is it playing now it's playing on they cut the one-minute version. I play a, a docent. Um, I, we shot at the National History Museum here, and I played this docent. What's uh, a docent? It's like this, the, the guy who knows everything about it in a museum. Like, not the curator, but okay. he's like the teacher. And I played a boring docent, and I had my hair to the side and a little mustache and a, and a little reading glasses. And I got to be a character actor in something that where the people that were running it were used to seeing me in the art department. So all of a sudden, I showed up for work, and nobody knew who I was. I, I, I worked with the DP for three days, and on, when I showed up to do this with my hair to the side and a little mustache, I shaved my – I was all f- f- covered in a beard, and I shaved down to a little mustache and a little Talked to me for probably a good 20 minutes before somebody said my name, and he was like, oh, my God, I've just worked with you for three days. I, I didn't even recognize That's you. That's funny. And I was like, yeah, I can do this. This is fun. So now are you doing – do you do a lot of commercial auditions or – I just got a new manager. I got a new agent. I'm, I'm I, You know – I'm not really good at the commercials. I don't know why. I'm just well. What happens with the commercials is, is either if they they want to look, and you know, the bottom line is you if you remind them of someone they didn't like, you're not gonna get the part. And you know, and there's so many people because they cast it. It's such a general casting. Like mm. we need this type. So then you go in, and there's all these people. You, you all the, pretty much the same type. So it's a matter of they just it, it's 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 a crapshoot for commercials. And then yeah, once yeah. you then you once you get one. It part then you keep getting them. Like I know a guy who auditioned 149 times and never booked anything. He booked one, and that year he got 12 nationals. Wow. Yeah, and so but then he said in the second year he got some. But then all of a sudden it was like he was that commercial guy, so they couldn't really use him. You know, when we try to get TV parts, they're like, "Well, you're that commercial guy." So it, it, yeah, it's, it's it, weird. It, it does. It'll it'll. I like auditioning more for. I'm hoping to do more for the sitcoms and for for films. Um, because that's the thing I don't want to do. I don't want to become that commercial actor, and I guess it's good for the money. But I make good money doing art department. 
So I like to, I want to be more picky and choosy about what I do. Now, how does that work when you when you have a show? I guess you can't audition with the art department. Um, yeah, sometimes I've I have weaselled my way into with some auditions without them knowing. I'd be like, yeah, I got to go pick props up over in the valley, so I'm just going to go out there and pick up props. And I'll come back like an hour later or an hour and a half later and be like, God, that traffic. Right. L.A. That, traffic is the that's best excuse LA, yeah, in the world. Because it is. You can see, and people know that. I mean, it's like we went to get her at the airport. Me and my buddy went to get her Friday night. And it was Labor Day. So we made it in no time. Like I always check the flight aware and it's like, oh, wait. We, I, we were somewhere and, and I said, okay, she can get there at 11. And then I checked it and I was like, there's no traffic. I mean, it was like it was awesome. But then sometimes you sit there. It's luckily she would usually come out on a holiday weekend. So I never really get stuck with the traffic. But the first time she came out, I mean, we hadn't really – known each other we'd been talking on the phone and we went to lunch in malibu and we were sitting there and all of a sudden she's like i mean the on-ramp to the 405 there's traffic like she's like we're we're not even on the, on the freeway yet i go no and it's like i mean it's backed up and then she's sitting there going, cool you know can we and i'm getting irritated because it's traffic and i'm like no. god you know and then and she's bitching because the radio she listens to her crappy music and i listen to my classic rock and stuff like that and i'm sitting there and she's like well can we go on the side street I'm like no because the side streets are just as bad try to get on sunset well people well people call me and or my family i've had like four or five family members come out and visit me and they always ask the same thing Hey, how far is the beach from your place? Twenty-three, mi- twenty-four miles, but right. it can be an hour and a half. It can be twenty-five minutes. I you go. Don't the, know. the better question is, what time of the day do you want to go That's to the true. beach? Because you can't, you don't gauge by distance. Like I always say, the four hundred five is called the four hundred five because it takes like four or five hours to get yeah. like a mile. Well, and the thing also is, it's why the track. And there's the thing is, there's there's no rush hour per se here. Mm-hmm. It's because everyone works different hours, so there's always you know there's always a lot of there's not nine to fives. There's not, you know, the entertainment business is different. So you can you can get to, sometimes you can sit there in mid-afternoon and hit the 405 and just make great time. But then some night you can go like 11 o'clock at night and there's an accident and the whole road is shut off. Gone. And you're there for And you hours. can't get off. Nope. And you don't know where you are because you're like, I'm not getting off in, you know, city of industry or whatever. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know where, I'm not, I don't know how to get around here. I don't want to get off in Inglewood. You know, I don't. I'm know. afraid to share my secret streets with people because I don't want traffic to happen yeah, on it. They'll be like, how do you get there? And I'll be like, I just took a back road. See, I would, I would take the shuttle a lot when I go back because I've been, I mean, in the last year and a half, I've probably been back east 20 times. And uh, I would take the, the shuttle. And, it's just weird because like these guys they know the different routes and you're like you want to write them down but they're just so confusing and they drive it and you're sitting there going you know and then the 405 is back then you always get pissed at the idiot who takes the 405 and he won't get in the carpool lane it's like dude you're, you're a shuttle driver you know get in the carpool lane but it's crazy like that no nah, no so what are you working on now um, I'm working on getting married. I'm getting married. Uh, well, now where did you meet this? Is she, is she in the business? I met her. Is yes. She, is she in the business? She's in the business. She's actually a really good writer. She has a blog. She's What's her I name? Met her give her, give her, give her, oh, pump, give her up. Renee, pump. Renee, soon to be Dalla, but Renee Scott. What's her blog? What's the, what's the website? Um, Moxie, th- that bride's got Moxie. That and bride. it's all about planning our wedding because we're getting married in Philly. Where at? Chestnut and Sixth. It's called the Downtown Club. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, I mean, I'm f- I'm 47, and this is my first like I've I've gotten close. I've never gotten married. Really. Happy birthday. Hey, hey, guys. We're doing a show here. <laughs> um, I met her doing a play, doing uh, a spoof of Tennessee Williams plays. Um, and we worked together for nine months. and On the play? On the play. and we What was she doing on the play? We She was playing uh, Maggie. Okay, so she writes and she also acts. She acts, okay. yeah. 
So she was an actress in it, and I was asked to do this part. I played Stanley Kowalski, a comical version, obviously, of Stanley Kowalski, because I am no Marlon Brando. And we worked together for about nine months, and then, like, in the last two weeks, it was like, game is on. There it is. Pride's got boxing. And uh, the game was on, and we went out a couple of times, and it's like it never stopped. I've never met anybody who, for me, it's been over three years. I've never had a fight. We agree on everything. When we don't agree, we know how to get out of it. We have dogs together. I, if I could, Did she watch Big Brother? No. Okay, good. No, but <laughs> she's got me watching. So, uh, was it the dance one with the stars? Dancing with the stars. Oh, um, I'm, she's, yeah. Well, so they, they make the announcement uh, Wednesday. Well, the show, when it's oh, really? they say who's going to be on. Oh, really? I got to say, I was kind of impressed with Kelly Pickler this year. Okay. I was, I was, I was kind of impressed. But she's... Uh, it, the best advice I could say, and somebody says, well, why would you choose her and why you guys get married? I go, it's easy. It's so easy to be with her. It's never a problem. I mean, our wedding is really lavish. Like, we're going back to Philly and people are flying in. Is she from Philly? No, she's from Brooklyn. Okay. But we met out here, which everybody always goes, oh, you came out here together? I go, no, no, no. Uh, All right. Met out here. And uh, she's a talented writer and she's a great actress. But you know what it is? She believes in me, and I think that's one thing that you, you re- uh, makes me happy. Is like she is proud and supportive, and I am too. Like I want her to. I told her after we get married, if my art department stuff's still going, I want you to write. She's such an amazing writer, and if you read, please read her blog, That Bride's Got Moxie, because you will be blown away. My friends from New York, who are probably like the you know like the New Yorkers guys. They will call me and be like, hey, did you read Renee's column this week? It's so good. Her blog is one of the best. I'll be like, really? You're reading her wedding blog? That's cool. Does she have a big following? Yeah, I think so. The blogs are hard. It's so weird. Yeah. It's like you sit there. It's like I used to just do like five one-liners a day, the things I would tweet called Cooper Thought. I should restart it. I haven't posted because like no one's reading them. Oh, like, you should. Because well, yeah, I, I, I tweet a lot, and I, but then I put those tweets, and I have like – God, I have – Thousands of jokes I've tweeted, and I, I don't. I don't use any of those jokes in my act. I mean, I just do them for tweeting. People are like you don't use those jokes. I'm like, no. You want to <laughs> buy them? Go feel free. You know, I'm not, I, I do it once because I, I get in the. I get in a segment. You know, I, I go like I go. You know, super groups that didn't garner enough attention. You know, like LL. What I, I even forget LL Cool J Giles Band. You know, just stuff like this. Just stupid stuff. You know, or Arsenio Hall and Oates. You know, just different <laughs> stuff. And but I, I, I can't use them on stage. I, I don't want to. No, that you know what? There's something to be said about taking all that we'd love to do on stand-up and putting it down on paper. Right. Because it, it's easier for everybody to enjoy it then. You know? Like, yeah. she couldn't write a joke to save her life, but I'll read her column and I'll be laughing my ass off. That's the way it works. You right. know what I mean? So anyway, we got two minutes left, Joey. Joe. Is, do you go by Joey or Joe now? Joe. But back in the day, Joe. was it always Joe or was it Joey? It was Joe. It was okay. always Joe. People would, I, people, I always pictured Joey with gold chains, especially from yeah, Philly. I pictured Philly, hey, yeah. he has a gold name, Philly boy, I got chains. What do you want to do? That's so funny. We went, uh, so we went to the uh, Cherry Hill Mall to a movie. Man, I'll tell you, I was looking in that parking lot, because you're used to L.A. There's some fat, ugly people, man. I'm, <laughs> sitting there going, I'm, going, I'm going, wow. I go, what the hell happened here? I'm like sitting there, and I'm like, it's just a different world. And it's, it's so different. I do the same thing when I go home. I'm always like, oh, it's nice to be home. And about a week later, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to get back to L.A. But I, you know, I, it's weird. I mean, I, I like it because I see some of my friends that I haven't seen for a while. And it's just, I was back there for two and a half weeks during Christmas. And you forget the cold. You forget how much, I mean, because it's beautiful. Here. We're spoiled. 
Yeah. So it's crazy. She's she's like brought a bunch of her summer clothes out for this trip because she's like, I'm moving out. I'm, I'm not gonna have. I'm not gonna have to wear them. I must just bring them back. You know. So she has all the fill in the closet watching the Big Brother feeds. I, I, my first week here, I was wearing a leather jacket, and my friend from California goes, "Okay, get East Coaster, of, get rid of the leather yeah. jacket." Okay, we gotta get going. Do you have a website or anything? Or yeah, JoeDallow.com. Okay, and you tweet. I tweet. I'm on. I'm, I don't tweet enough. And what's that? What's it under? It's uh, Joe underscore Dallow. Okay. I want to thank you for coming on. It's good. Oh, it's been great. It's been so it's great. It's great. He can replace him. Keith Robinson so the but I can replace him with another Philly guy. Anyway, people, uh, follow me at Twitter at Cooper Talk. Also, send me an email, cooper at indie100.com. I'd love to hear from you guys. Also, if you go to my website, coopertalk.net, I have about 170, 175, 180 episodes up. You can also find them on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Type in one word, just one word, Cooper Talk in the search box. Same thing that popped up. Some great guests. I have a ton of shows on there. Also on Facebook, if you follow the fan page, type in Cooper Talk. And if you go into the photo albums, you can click on any photo of any of my guests and it will link you right to the episode so you can listen to it so i want to thank you joe thank you it was Steve. good seeing you people um i don't have any gigs coming up but you know follow me on twitter and uh you can find out when i'm on a big daddy graham show it's usually thursday nights at midnight on 94 wip sports radio philadelphia i'm steve cooper i'm only as my guests you guys have a wonderful day